You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience and artists intended to demystify the classical music and opera art form. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's available via Spotify and Audioboom. That way, you'll hear about the latest podcasts as they become available. Be sure to follow Thoroughly Good on Twitter or on Facebook, and you'll find the blog at thoroughlygood.me. I'd be very interested to, to hear people's reaction on, on this music and whether it's a easy thing to hear for the first time or you have to spend time with it like we did to really become fans. Because um, I'm hoping that it's a, it will open the door to this wonderful composer a bit more because he's um, very known for a few things but I think he deserves more recognition. I think actually as a composer he, gave, he gives a huge amount great compliment to performers that he gives a lot of trust to them um, by giving so much liberty in the way that his music is written and at the same time writing actually a lot of detail particularly later on um, and I think that kind of freedom is is um, a wonderful thing to be given by a composer um, and also has to be respected and, but I hope that comes across. The album is CPE Bar Violin Sonatas. Well, it's a, it's actually the complete um, original works for for violin and would have been a variety of different keyboards. Yeah. Um, but we've recorded them on mm, a beautiful on Steinway and a Strat. Yeah. Uh, how did you come by wanting to do that? Where does, given that you work together, I mean you obviously work together not just on this album but on other albums. Yeah. How do you come by? deciding on that is it a joint decision or do you Tanzan go I want to do this and I need to find a pianist well we'd um, we'd done a couple of recitals together we played together in opera festival and stuff mm-hmm. and then um, I sort of been interested in the music of C.P. Bach and I just thought it was something that might catch your imagination as well so, yeah. so did you have to it. pitch to James I then, did pitch to James right. actually we had lunch and Tanzan bought these huge Big orange books, <laughs> which were the complete works for that, and she brought them to lunch. <laughs> and um, gave them to me, and I played through them, and I d- it was music I didn't know, and it, it's it's wonderful. And um, it hasn't been done before on modern instruments. Um, I think that uh, so it was just a really exciting project to embark on. And um, is yeah. there a risk when you pitch an idea like that, times in that that the person you're pitching to is going to go? Oh God, no! I mean, oh is yeah, that, of course. I mean, there? we've all had that. Sometimes you just don't feel that project's for you, or it doesn't really interest you, and that's. I think then you've got to just be really honest with your colleagues and just say it's not for me. I think that's fine. And you're nodding in not. a way that makes me think that this has happened to you already. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I, often you get pitched, you know, the complete works of some not great um, <laughs> composer or something, yes. or, or something incredibly. Um, hard that's going to take over your whole life and but but this this was challenging in, in all the right ways it's stylistically different it was um music that i hadn't discovered before and um 
and music that I grew to really love. And I'm now a diehard CPE Bach fan, as oh, I hope that, okay. <laughs> that people that, <laughs> so that you discover this music. So this has been like a, a voyage of discovery for you? Very much so. I think for it us It has both. for me as well. I hadn't actually played any of it before. I just found out about his music, listened to some of the music. Um, there were no, as James said, there were no um, recordings on modern instruments um, of the violin um, works. And... He's such a fascinating figure um, in music history, as you say, from a stylistic point of view, but also from, um, in a way, sort of like philosophical point of view. Um, and mechanical, I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's a, incredibly important for piano playing, the development yeah, of he piano changed, playing. I mean, he changed everything. To have a father like that, the most structured and genius person, probably in classical music, and C.P. Ibach broke every possible rule to make a new playing field which the classical era came and the romantic, the romantic era after that. an assumption just hearing you say that along the lines of oh god my dad has really you know my dad has done it now we've got to do something else no I think he realised that the world was changing and especially instruments were changing he was very interested in changing and I in a funny way I think that he almost wrote these pieces with a new sound world in mind which is maybe what we 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 want to explore because uh, the music is so colourful, but it, it kind of needs the colour possibilities of a Steinway and a Stradivarius. And the, the keyboard was in such flux during his life. The, you know, it, was, it was changing every few months. Yeah. I mean, as, as were the... Um, I mean, at that time, not so much the setup of the actual violins, but new bows, new shapes of bows were being used all the time. There was absolutely no standardised classical bow. Um, and I think what's also really interesting, as you touched on, he was really involved with um, writers uh, and philosophers at the time and I think his music um, really explores that so one of the biggest challenges for me was that there aren't either the Brook or the classical um, standard phrase structures or harmonic structures there's kind of total freedom could go anywhere at any point Um, and as it moves later and later, um, so the later works are kind of um, in the mid late 70, um, 1780s um, which was Mozart was already writing um, Haydn was you know, well into his mid 
metal quartets by then. Um, it, some of it sounds like Schubert or Schumann, and there's extreme dynamics written. Right, asked for Sordino. Um, we know that he wrote uh, a concerto for harpsichord and um, what was the latest kind of keyboard instrument at the time? Would it be like a pianoforte? Yeah, or clavichord or something. Yeah, but to, to have those two different sounds right next to each other. So, so they sound like experiments. The way that you, oh, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. But, but does that does that mean that as you approach each work, you have to? you have to approach each work in a fresh way. You, yes. know, you can't really make a statement about all of them because no. they're all individual sort of... Yeah, I think they all, they all have... I mean, it's, it's extraordinary how, how different they all are. Um, and he, he has amazing moments of lyricism, a lot of fiery energy, a lot of dance music. But the two later works, which are kind of fantasy and, and an, an mm. aria, it's like a unmitigated stream of consciousness yeah it really is <laughs> really you're really selling it James <laughs> but, but it's just without any I mean obviously there's a structure but, but to think where that came from and who his father was where everything was completely yes, mathematically yeah. worked out and he just I hear um, certainly in what I've heard I hear a lot more decoration I hear a much lighter um not florid, because I think there's, there, there are connotations with the word florid, but certainly a light and yeah, yeah, humour as well. And one of the things that I sort of really missed when we finished the recording was that music's so affectionate. There's so much, um, not really tenderness, but just sort of affection for being alive and just experiencing things, yeah. which is which is there in the music. Do you think that he was react? I'm still going to. I'm, I'm, I'm dog with a bone. Do you think in any way that he might have been reacting to his father? I think having a father like that and then being a composer can never have been easy. easy. <laughs> I mean, we're all you know, human, we know. We but know Mozart, Mozart like. actually said about C.P.E. Bach that he is the father, we are the children, and not J.S. So C.P.E. Bach probably did more to develop music than... I heard um, I can't pronounce his name so I'm not going to but the Icelandic pianist who won a gramophone award you were there Tessa so who, what's his name okay him I'm yeah. still not going to pronounce it I heard him describe J.S. Bach as someone who because he essentially came first uh, wrote about the cosmos wrote about wrote about the world around him and that everybody else in reaction to J.S. Bach wrote about how they fitted in with the world around them, and that that was the, the motivation. You're you're looking at me blankly, blankly tanned in the. Which either means that I haven't phrased that very well. No, or I, I, I. Would you would you buy that view? Yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, I, I know what he means about J.S. Bach's music, um, and I think there is so much. And it, as you say, that is about the universe, the cosmos. There's all of the numerology or the humanist numerology as well as religious, and you can delve deeper and deeper and deeper. But for me, it also functions on a very emotional human level, um, and there are incredibly personal works as well. Well, that's um, the genius of him. Yeah. He, he managed to get human emotion into this a very clever <laughs> system. And I, I guess that's probably the element that his son, C.P.D. Bach, took um, I mean, having and said that, of course, all of the music on these three discs is completely secular. Oh, yes. 
that's totally an important secular. point. Uh, why, why do you stress that? I mean, obviously, because well, it is taken. Well, because most of JF is religious. <laughs> so even, you know, the solo um, sonatas, which were not commissioned for a mass or anything, um, have clear, clear religious narratives and connotations and symbolism. We don't even have to look that deep to find it. Um, you know, whether it's uh, particular intervals or sort of, uh, you know, groups of the Trinity or there's, there's just, there's, the religious symbolism is so clear. Um, and I think that CPE is, he's, I think, and also from reading some of his writings, he is interested in, um, you know, what makes people work in a much more, um, I wouldn't say basic, but a sort of, in a way, everyday kind of more level. Well, a more human yeah, level. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Human emotions, human what relationships. Did, what writings did he leave behind for you? What did you end up sort of studying? There's loads and loads of letters. See Bebo. Yeah. And then there's... There's well, a whole there's treaty, treaty on how to play the piano. Yeah. <laughs> how annoying. Yeah. No, it's, or maybe it's helpful. I don't it's, know. it's helpful. I mean, it's what Beethoven based all his studies on. That's how Beethoven learned the piano. Right. So he's very far-reaching, his old CPE. Um, did that help you? It did. I mean, it I think that's... It sounds like a manual. It's a manual, but it's, it's interesting. Um, the thing I was most scared of was the ornaments, and I, I did as much study as possible but, but it became clear that we don't really know so I thought that I was going to do what felt most natural to me what and were you nervous about then? About well that? because we that people would know there are there's a lot of scholarly books written about ornaments and right. um, what ornaments are correct in different types of music if it's German if it's French is it a dance is it what type, exactly what type it is and basically you would there's actually quite a lot of CPU wrote also quite a lot about that, um, and there are various writers from that period. Um, then also listening to recordings of um, Baroque and early classical specialists. Everyone's doing different things all the time, um, and that actually gives huge like Yeah, it gives. I think it gives freedom, and and we, you know, there's a very, very helpful appendix in in the book about the ornaments from from CPU Bach. But I guess our philosophy was. We were recording this music if C.P.E. Bach had met a Steinway and a Stradivarius, and therefore you can adapt ornaments and stuff to the modern sound, which I'm sure he would have embraced because he was such a forward thinker and such an uh, innovator. So I didn't want to be bound by rules. I suppose if you, are, if you do try and follow the rules, um, if they are there, then there's always going to be somebody who back of your mind is going to be going well you didn't do that right yeah you exactly didn't need to do that. and that would just be a and neither, and neither of us are, 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 are you know baroque or early classical specialists but we bring ourselves to yeah. this recording and, and people can judge or judge not or judge <laughs> and, and if it's uh, if we did some ornaments in the wrong way well I think it works still in the sound world that we yeah. we tried to explore the ornaments that you would use obviously on a harpsichord and a modern piano are completely different anyway yeah. because the action and the sound is so different um, just going back to this idea of rule breaking and rules I think CP was himself the ultimate rule breaker yeah. there's some really chromatic like far out stuff and he developed this incredibly important um, approach to music which is called um, like the sensitive style um, 
where it's sensitive in the old sense um, of, of touching you and being all about the emotions. And I think we had to really try and get into that mindset of playing with free will. So you couldn't, in a way, plan too much. You had to really know the music, but then set your mind free, sort of down the thinking mind, up the instincts, mm. um, and have that sense of improvisation and freedom all the time. But still written, following a written manuscript. Yeah, but the, 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 structures, are all, the structures are also different. Um, and they need to sound, I think, like you are discovering them uh, so much as you play them. Yeah. I think there's no formula which you get in, in like a in Mozart phrase, there would be, it's a, there's a sort of standardised way of doing things. For example, that would be four bars, four bars, and then if he's making a point that is, you know, maybe 60% through the exposition, then there'll be a five bar phrase or a nine bar phrase to have an extensive extension. That's not that doesn't exist at all. And, and um, so we just, uh, certainly if you try trying to be like, let's do this piano, let's do this forte, da, da, it can easily then become straight-jacketed. And I or think formulaic, and we needed yeah. to have that playing off each other that we could sort of, you know, take each other by surprise or play a, play a joke on each other and then go with it. How do you reconcile that in a recording? Because obviously at some point somebody's going to have to make a decision about this is the version that we're going to... Well, thankfully we had a, a wonderful producer and and an editor <laughs> and he was he would allow he would kind of encourage very long takes very very um yeah so we we felt really in the performing spirit and and I, I, it's my first time working with him but i completely trusted him and he he managed to get the best of, of these things so it wasn't very cut up i don't think no. um so you're doing, sorry to be d- nerdy about this uh, but you've piqued my curiosity are you would you have recorded the um, entire sonata or an entire movement so you do it we do movement it movement by movement and right. then so at least one complete take. normally yeah. do about three complete takes yeah and then we do kind of long sections so sort of first half um and Often then that was kind of it. But whereas if you record Mozart, it's so. Wet, You're doing that with your hands. I don't know. I know. I don't know. I'm trying to. It's so, so sort of wedding cakey that that tiny little oh, okay, things are, right. are yes. so important that you end it's up modular, probably recording bar by bar. It's a modular type. Well, hopefully not. Well, I mean, but if you want to really get something, you can. You can. Completely crystal and. Yeah, no, it can be like that. It's less the the bigger picture and more the sort of the champagne and and. And Diamonds. cream. And did um, you find that when you're doing different takes, that 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 uh, experience of free will shifted in between takes? 
with it. With yeah, it we diff- tried different things yeah. and different takes. Of course, when you're recording, you have to make sure that you could potentially edit. Um, and so Nick would play us just for tempo so that we wouldn't choose like a wildly different tempo. Although sometimes we did do different versions in different tempi and then decide Just decide what works first. Yeah. That must make it quite a tiring, quite a demanding process, actually. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the It's exhausting. I mean, I think we recorded how many days? Six. Six days, and it's how many minutes? I mean... It's three three filters. It's about 150, 60 minutes. So very long days, and and it's you, well, you we know we did three sets of three sessions. Yeah, but not. Oh, sorry, two sets of three sessions. But not consecutive days. So we did three days, and then we had a, few a weeks, month and off, then and then another three days. Uh, did you notice a difference between when you took the month off? I'm sorry to be so so microscopic about this. Uh, did you, did you? How do you then get back in the zone when you've had a month off? From we it? were rehearsing it and playing it quite a lot during that month off, so we were kind of. In the and we were surprisingly zone. well planned, actually, about yeah. what we were going to record with. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. always the way. <laughs> yeah. okay. Right, it wasn't like a miracle. There was some planning. No, there was a lot of planning <laughs> because there was so much to cover. Right. There was so much to cover. Um, yeah, we kept, I think we, we really wanted to keep it as a very creative process. And but actually, I think the music energizes us a lot. I mean, yeah. more so than other music, I would say, in my experience of recording other things. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of dips and and also I guess because it's such a huge project you know you have to get to the end so you have to just do it <laughs> yeah, I don't really work on projects like that <laughs> you know, if, I, if I can't sustain interest beyond two hours then it's not the project for me You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, available on Spotify and Audioboom. To get in touch, please tweet at Thoroughly Good. You can also follow Thoroughly Good on Facebook and read the blog at thoroughlygood.me.